Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Pastor Ben Teethy for his message. So, what if I told you that I knew of a popular Christian book that's labelled as being one of the major pieces of theological literature about Jesus today? That it's been translated worldwide into over 670 languages, and yet not once does it use the word repent. Now, some of you in this room will have various uh, responses to this, this knowledge about this book. Some of you might be a little bit worried, worried that there's a book out there about Jesus, about how to follow Jesus, and yet not once does it use the word repent. Others of you might be actually a little bit relieved to hear that there's a book about Jesus that doesn't have the word repent in it, because the only times you've heard that word are in sentences that actually produce fear and insecurity within you about your eternal home. So you're glad that there's a book out there like that. And some of you in this room, well, you might not be too phased either way, because actually the word repent is an English word that actually no one uses uh, apart from Christians, and we don't use it all that often, depending on what kind of church circle you're from. So you aren't actually too worried either way anyway. (laughs) So the fact that there are so many different responses to this word repent is why it's found its way into our Logos series, and uh, we're going to look at it this morning. Now, the word repent actually is in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. And actually, in the Gospels of both Matthew and Mark, it says that Jesus started his public ministry using the word repent. It said uh, in Matthew, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And in Mark, he says, repent and believe the good news. So it's definitely a word we want to check out. If Jesus is using it, I want to know what he's saying. Um, So repent in the Old Testament is translated from a Hebrew word called teshiv, which means to turn. It's to turn around. It's to basically do a 180 or or to return. And it's used often uh, when the Israelites are being asked to return to Yahweh, return to God, return to the covenant. See, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of awesome stories in there, but there's one big story that's being told in the Old Testament, and it's about God and his chosen people, the Israelites. God and Israel entered into a covenant relationship, like a committed relationship, and God promised to be faithful, and he asked for faithfulness in return. It was a committed relationship, and while God remained faithful... The people would often forget God. They would forget and go their own way. They would choose their own path. And so God constantly sent messengers to his people, his prophets, and he would say, hey, guys, you've got to repent. And what he meant when he said that is, hey, you've got to turn around, turn back around, stop going the wrong way, come back to me, come back to the covenant, come back to the relationship. So when we see the word repent in the Old Testament, for me, It helps me when I'm reading and understanding the context to sort of sub out the word repent and actually put in, it's to turn around or to return. Because I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you may have been given a lot of messages over the years about what the the word repent actually means. But I like to to put into there what the actual translation is, which is to turn around. It helps me understand what I'm reading. In the New Testament, the word repent comes from the Greek, and it's metaneo, metaneo, (laughs) meaning to change one's mind or purpose. 
and it's to change the inner man. So it's not just a light-hearted little, ah, oh, a small change. It's actually a change of mind that changes your heart, that goes on to transform the way you make decisions and the way you think about things and the way you decide to take action. It's a life-changing decision. And uh, so when I see the word repent in the New Testament, again, I kind of sub out repent and I put in it's to change one's mind. It's to turn and change one's mind. So if I look at both the words teshiv and matineo and consider what their meanings are, which is to turn or to return to God and to change one's mind, and specifically in the New Testament, to change one's mind about God, then I realise if I look at the two, they're both asking for a response. They're both asking for an action. And that particular response that they want is a positive, life-changing response towards God or Jesus. It's like someone's going down the road this way, and then if you hear the word uh, uh, repent, it's saying, hey, turn around, do a 180, change your mind about what you understand God to be and go this way instead. It's a complete 180. It's a change of your life when you see the word repent. It's asking for a change, a life-changing change. (laughs) And a great example of this is in the life of Saul. Now, the the story about Saul is found in Acts chapter 9. And Saul actually goes on to become Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament. He's a key player in the New Testament and um, in Christian history, really. So the story of how Saul changes his mind about Jesus is found in Acts chapter 9. It says Saul was a Jew who was bent really on stopping Uh, Jesus being known as the son of God. He didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God and he didn't want anyone to think that because he thought it was heresy. So he was bent on making sure that the... um, that the story about who Jesus was 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 going to go out of history, never to be seen again. It says in Acts chapter 9 that he breathed out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul was famous for persecuting the first followers of Jesus. And to say that he was anti-Jesus would be an understatement. (laughs) However, the story goes in Acts chapter 9 that while he was travelling one day, Jesus confronts Saul and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Now we don't have time this morning to go through the whole story, but in summary... Um, Saul goes to the next town and a very brave, awesome disciple named Ananias goes to him and prays for him. Saul gets baptised and it says not long after that, he starts preaching that Jesus is the son of God. (laughs) Now that is a crazy 180 turn if you were going to look for one in the Bible. It's a story of a man who who had no belief in Jesus and was so so confident of his decision that Jesus was not who he said he was, that he had changed his life and was making it his mission to make sure no one believed that about Jesus. And then he encountered God in a fresh new way. He saw who Jesus was. He met Jesus and he did a complete 180 in his life. He went from persecuting the church to becoming the church and he goes from not only believing in Jesus but being one of the major minds and major um, evangelists for Jesus's cause in his time and in throughout history we still read what he says every day in our Bibles so if you were going to look for a story of repentance or a change of mind you'll find it in the story of Saul who became Paul and interestingly though 
The writer of Acts, who is Luke, he doesn't ever once actually use the word repent when he's telling this story. But we can see that it's a really amazing example of, a, of repentance. It's a time of someone's changed their life, going in one direction to another. He repented. He saw Jesus. He changed his mind. He changed his mind so much that it changed his life. So he repented. He'd returned to God. Basically put, though, Saul chose to believe. He chose to believe in Jesus and who he said he was. So how do the words believe and repentance really fit together? Well, a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary says this. Roy, his name's Roy Zuck. He says, repentance is included in believing. Faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin. Genuine faith includes repentance, and genuine repentance includes faith. See, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word believe in the Greek is pistuio, and it means to believe or have faith in or have trust in. So to repent is to turn and change one's mind. And specifically in the New Testament, when we're talking about repentance towards God, we're asking, we're saying, hey, repent, believe, believe in Jesus and not just believe, but trust, trust in him and have faith in him. So when we read the full measure of what repentance means and when we understand fully what believe means, we can see that they're both asking for that same response within us, a response to have a positive, faith-filled, life-changing belief in God. They really are two, two sides of the same coin. So that book that I mentioned in the beginning, the one that doesn't have the word repent in it at all, yet is a major theological literature piece about Jesus. So what's the book? Well, I didn't make it up. It's actually the Gospel of John found in the Bible. Not once does he use the word repent as he tells his stories and his testimony about Jesus. But he does use the word pistuio or believe over 85 times and depending on your translation over 100 times. And John the author, he says himself in chapter 20 verse 31, all this is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John knew the importance of repentance. He just didn't use the word. Instead, he asked for the same response for us from Jesus by using the word believe. He's encouraging us to believe and he says, hey, turn around, return to God, say yes to God, change your understanding about who Jesus is. And when you do that, you will have life to the full and it's going to last a lifetime and it's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> We're going to change tack a little bit and talk about physics. Who of you are familiar with the theory of general relativity? The concept, I love the fact that Ben put up his hand, I couldn't see anyone else's hands out there. The concept of general relativity says that we have space, we have all the space around us, we have the things we can touch and feel around us, but it also says we have time, that the things we can touch and feel around us have been before and have been in the future. And in fact, theory of general relativity then says there's a third thing, which is we have gravity. And when gravity imposes itself upon space and time, 
we have something called a singularity. When a planet becomes so large that its gravity can no longer contain itself, it collapses and it falls in upon itself. And as it falls in upon itself, it sucks time and space to a point where we can no longer comprehend them. It brings them down to a single point, the singularity. And at that point, in that most dense part of the universe, in that, that time when that has been created, in the middle of that singularity, there is no time, there is no space, there's no future, there's no past. There is just a moment. A single moment with the full gravity of the entire universe sitting upon it. Mez talked about repentance and what it, what it was. And it was to believe and it was to come back into relationship with God. One of the things I love about the parable of the, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, we talk a lot about all the things that he did. We talk about how, how bad he was and he wasted and squandered all of his father's money on flash clothes and partying. And we talk a lot about what happens when he went home and how upset the other brother was when, when he, the fatted calf was brought out for the prodigal son. But there's one verse right in the middle of that entire parable that is supremely powerful. And in the NIV translation, it just says, and he's in the, he's in the, the pig sty eating the food from the pigs. There's one small phrase. He came to his senses. At that point, he had reached the singularity of his life. He'd come to the understanding that time, everything that had gone before, everything that was going to come into the future, all of his experiences all came down to one point. That he came to his senses. That he realised that there was something that he was no longer in relationship with. He realised that he was no longer in relationship with his father. In Genesis 1, we find out that God created the world. And we spend a lot of time talking about when he created it and how he created it. But the most powerful words of Genesis 1 are the fact that God created us for his pleasure to be in relationship with us. And at that moment of singularity, it's that realisation that God has been standing there all along wanting to be singularly in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. With you. At that time, he doesn't want to know about anything that happened before. He doesn't want to worry about what is to come to to the future. He wants to know you at that time. The cross shows this to us because we see on the cross, we have a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, and right in the middle is Christ's heart that is at the center point of all that Christ did for us. And when we understand it this way, we can understand what repentance is not. If any of you have children, then you'd probably have a fulsome appreciation of what repentance is not because when you say to the child, now can you go and say sorry to your sister for hitting her in the face with a big stick and they go walk up to them and go, well, sorry. <laughs> yeah, those loves are people who know what I'm talking about. 
we can start to understand that repentance is not that. But importantly, repentance is not condemnation. At that singular point, the only thing that matters is the relationship. It's not condemnation about what has gone on in the past. And as a church, we've often got that wrong. We've spent a lot of time going, well, you need to be condemned in order to be repented. And we actually say, no, 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 repentance is a moment of time. It is a singular point where you get to believe, where you get to turn your face to God. And he says, right now, I want to be in relationship with you. So it's not condemnation. It's not conviction. Conviction of our sins is something that comes from that ongoing relationship with God. But at that point, the consequences of our sin are not at that point what matters. It will matter. And it is something that we will deal with as, as the prodigal son made that decision when he came to his senses. He then had to walk that journey home and come back into the family and he had to deal with all the things that came from there. But that's the conviction that, is, that comes. But it's not now. Right now, in that singularity, it is about relationship. We need to understand that much of what we have done and much of what we say about repentance as a church has often been wrong. We need to remind people that above all, God created us for relationship. He created us to be in relationship with him and he gave his son as the pathway, as the conduit, as the, the mechanism by which we are able to come into that relationship. And when he gives us the opportunity to come back into that relationship, he commands us to set aside all of the noise of the past, all of the fears of the future, all of the environment around us and to sit in his presence for one moment and say, Lord, I turn. Lord, I believe. Lord, I repent. Life without Christ is meaningless it wasn't easy you know there were circumstances to cover pain to mask reputation to uphold I just wonder have you ever been there I never had the opportunity of growing up in a relationship with Jesus as a child I was searching for purpose searching for meaning in life Searching for someone to love me as I was, but ultimately I was searching in all the wrong places. I attended spiritualist churches, I practiced the occult, I took substances, I abused relationships in order to try and master pain that I was facing. I wonder, have you ever been there? The moment had arrived where I couldn't stand the pain I was facing anymore. I can still picture it quite vividly, walking down the centre of the train tracks at Parafield train station. I remember the look on 
the conductor's face, the train driver's face, as that train approached me, and I'm standing there in the center of the tracks as a hurt, young, broken man, knowing that in a split second, not only was I going to change my future, but also his. Then something extraordinary happened. I heard this voice. I couldn't explain it at the time, but it simply said, there is more to your life than you think. That's a word for so many of you here this morning. I just had to react, thinking about that voice. You know, and it happened so, so quickly, so suddenly I got off the tracks, a blubbering mess, still not knowing what to do, but realizing there was more. In that moment, a turning place occurred. Not just physically with me getting off the tracks, but spiritually something was happening inside of me. It was a turning place that took place, a higher calling, a change that took effect, which changed my life forever. That began the relationship with my heavenly father, the king of kings and lord of lords. I can remember not long after that period asking questions like, why would anyone else not want to live with this or like this? My relationship with Jesus was starting to form my saviour. Repentance was taking place. It was a point of being brought from death to life. You see, as Mez shared before, genuine faith, it includes repentance, and repentance includes faith. Destiny was being shaped. Day after day, God would reveal himself to me. A mutual relationship took place. It was pretty cool. One between my heavenly Father and myself. You can experience the same thing today. There became my initial response, my relationship, which sparked change between me and Jesus. You know, life went on. I remember in the early days of being a Christian, catching up with someone and feeling this calling to want to help other people realize this same realization that I had had. And I really felt to go to Bible college. And so we caught up with this person and... We had received some dumb advice. <laughs> you know, you can meet some really great people out there, but sometimes we can say some silly things. <laughs> and they'd said to me, you need to see 20 people come to the Lord before you go to college. I don't think I need to explain that too much, do I? But you know, I was a relatively new Christian. I took it seriously. And when we got to college, I realized I had failed. <laughs> I was standing there at Hillsong Church in one of the chapel services and just worshipping God and carrying this pain that I had failed. And the Holy Spirit had come upon me and God started to reveal himself to me. I just wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever been caught in the performance trap where we think we have to do rather than be in order to get or gain God's approval and his love and acceptance? We focus on results and statistics. And don't get me wrong, I do think we need to work hard. But not just working hard for the sake of working hard to achieve things. We work hard, we be in relationship with him. Performance trap. You see, our God, he's not into behavior modification. He's into spiritual transformation where change takes place, where he comes and he gets inside us. The relationship happens and then he orchestrates change inside you and me. 
God, he is good. Proverbs 3, 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge God, and he will direct your path. Well, what does that mean? If you and I, if we do life with God, he is going to direct our path. Not one that's performance-driven, but one that's relationship-driven. You see, the closer I get, the more I discover my relationship with my creator is more fulfilling in my life. The more I discover purpose when I press into him, when I realize who he is and who I am through him. Rules, regulations, misinterpretations, they they shape this false image of who God is, but also who you and I are in him. The whole time I can still recall, and even today, you know, we still make these mistakes where we try and do it our way. But God, he says, Jamie, I, I just love you for who you are. I've paid the price. I've done it all. It is finished. He says the same to you and I. It is finished. Don't be focused on works. Just be focused on him. One of the other problems I think we face when it comes to repentance or really coming to God is we try and fix ourselves before we come to him. Do you know if this was the case, I would never make it. I'm pretty sure none of us here would make it either. He's a God of grace. He's not into behavior modification, but spiritual transformation where it takes place from the inside out. He's a loving God who believes in you. The word says he prays for you. He intercedes for you. Yes, there's a process we go through, but let God complete what he says he started to begin in the beginning because he is faithful and he will complete what he begins. He's faithful. My challenge for you today is, will you turn that situation around? Will you turn your life around and connect to the source? Will you start living the blessed life that God has for you? This is a small part of my story, but I know if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. We've been looking at a great Christian word, the word repent, the word repentance. In the Old Testament, Mez shared with us, it means to turn or to return. And it was a wonderful cry of the prophets, wasn't it? Return to God, return to God. This assumption that all of us are made to find our home in God, like Augustine said, our hearts are restless, O God, till we find our rest in you. That's what That was his famous quote. And we are invited in the Christian gospel to repent, to live a lifestyle of constant repentance and turning to God, returning to God. In the New Testament, it takes a new shape to change our mind. We're called to change our mind. What about change your mind about Jesus? Change your mind about God? Change your mind about life? Come to your senses. Find, I love the way Lyndon always has to bring physics into what he does. That's why you always get an engineer to be part of your leadership team in church. They can give you some new thoughts. Find that powerful moment of singularity where the gravity of everything just takes up your entire world and you understand in a moment of grace in a moment of conviction in a moment of need in a moment of overwhelming light or darkness that what i need to do is i need to turn to jesus and to make it personal to confront the difficulties of life the fact that there are things to manage appearances to keep up problems to cope with And to turn in that moment to hear a very personal invitation that is found in the Christian gospel. Why don't you return to God? 
Once you change your mind about stuff, what stuff? Start with everything. Work your way back. I don't know about you, but as I've been listening to our preachers this morning, I've been just thinking in my own life, you know, repentance is such a powerful word when you strip it back from just something you may hear somebody yelling on a street corner. Or imagine a crazy-eyed prophet like John the Baptist walking out of the desert dressed in camel hair, grasshopper hanging out of his beard. Repent! Uh, And in it is a loving and gracious invitation to turn around. It's pretty powerful. I want us just to transition in this moment. I want to pray for you, family of God. I want to pray. For me, repentance is not a word that just happened once upon a time when I became a believer 20 years ago, 18 years ago. It's, it's a now a posture of my life where I had a moment of salvation where I drew a line in the sand of my life. This was called repentance. And I said, God of the universe, no matter where I've been going to, no matter where I've been coming from, I turn around to you and I'm going to become a follower of yours today. And every week in our services, people make that choice for the very first time. And if you've never done that before, or maybe you did it once upon a time out of a sense of conviction, but it lost its power and you haven't been walking with Jesus. And maybe today in this word, repent, comes to the invitation. Hey, isn't it time for you to draw a line in the sand of your life? Turn around no matter where you've been going to, no matter where you've been coming from and become a follower of the God of the universe as invited in the person of Jesus. But some of us, you know, there, there are micro micro-repentances that we need. Some of us just need to say, you know what, I've got to change my mind about this thing. I wonder what that would be for you. I've got to return to God in this part of my life. I've got to return to God in this area of my life. I want to hear the way our three preachers talk about repentance today. I think Mez is right. Sometimes that's an, it's a scary word, isn't it? You imagine a starry-eyed prophet with their veins popping out of their forehead and their eyes on fire. Repent feels condemning sometimes to people but you know when I think about the true meaning of the word I, I don't feel afraid or condemned by it I feel like what I'm experiencing as I'm surrounded by the God of love who says wouldn't it be good for you to turn to God and find wholeness find meaning find faith wouldn't it be good for you to find release from the challenges that you've been constrained by Wouldn't it be good to find God in the midst of a life where maybe there's bits of your life, could be your whole life, could just be a little area where you've been living without God in that bit of life and the solution is to turn to him in that part of your life. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think there's always a way you can respond to this word, repent. I think relativity is such an amazing thing, Lyndon, the the idea of it. It's a powerful way our universe is designed. Can you imagine traveling at the speed of light? Can you imagine that? What, an, what a cool experience that would be. You know, in Star Wars, they travel at light speed across the universe. Now, there's one drawback to traveling at the speed of light. Light travels in kilometers at 299,792 kilometers every second. That means if you could travel that fast, you could circle the Earth seven and a half times in one second. How many people think that would be pretty cool? No more waiting in line in the economy class. No more checking your passports. Now, there'd be one major drawback if you could do that, and that is that when anything moves that fast at the speed of light, its weight increases infinitely. And so that means you could, the byproduct of traveling at the speed of light is you're going to have to put on some pounds, an infinite number. And uh, I, I was talking with my sister about this one time and she said, there you go, I haven't put on weight, I'm just getting faster. <laughs> what would happen if you could speed, move at the speed of light? 
You could go out from here and you could shoot straight up in the air like a rocket and you could look back. And once you got to the speed of light, this is a crazy thing about the world and the universe and time and space, is that if I could give you an atomic clock on your wrist, and I had one on my wrist here, and we synchronized watches like the Power Rangers, and you went off to travel at the speed of light and I stayed here, what would happen to me is everything would seem normal to me. I would just stay here. But you, as you shot up up there, not only would your weight increase infinitely, which may be good or bad news for you, depending on what's going on in your genes, um, but you will, you'll be shooting out there. And what would happen is for you, time would speed up. It's just a weird mystery. As you moved further and further out into space and get faster and faster, not only are you travelling fast, but time itself would speed up. So when you got back to planet Earth, if you could go out to space, travel at the speed of light, come back again, your, your watch will be travelling faster than my watch. We would have synchronised them, and, but you'll now be a little bit ahead of me. Because this is what's weird about time and space. If you travel at the speed of life, light, time speeds up. In fact, time speeds up so much that if you could actually travel at the speed of light, which you would die and I would die, but let's say we could get a really cool spaceship to protect us, we would travel right at the speed of light. If we could look back to planet Earth, having gotten to the speed of light, we would find that time has sped up so much that every single moment of time that has ever happened in human history would all be condensed into one moment and happening simultaneously in one moment in time something some quantum theorists call the eternal now. Everything that's ever happened in human history, time speeding up so quick that if you could get to the speed of light and look back, you would see things that happened 200 years ago and things happening right now in one moment, compressed into one single moment in time. That's the singularity that Lyndon was talking about. Why is that important? Why are you boring us with this, Pastor Ben? But the Bible says God is light. And quantum physics has explained to us the fact that it's possible for God for whom there is no past, there is no future. There's only always now. That's why God lives in eternity and God sees everything from an eternal perspective where everything that's ever happened in human history, everything that will ever happen is all compressed into one moment that God can see and his eye and his hands and his feet can range freely through to interface with people. That's why God doesn't change and God hasn't changed and God can move in people's lives five years ago, 50 years ago, 500 years ago. God can reveal his face and it's the same God. God can act. God can stretch forth his hand and he can change destinies and change futures because for God there is no point of time on the human calendar that is not accessible. There is no point of time in the human calendar that is not significant. In fact, all of it is significant because all of it is now for God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room. I want to pray for you, family. I want you to think about the eternal God. God who is light. God is light and Him there is no darkness. God who is so light that He can be everywhere, every place, every time at once. The eternal God. Always in the eternal now moment. And I want you to think about that God. That God moving at the speed of light right now, looking, looking all across time and space and history and destiny, but looking down into this room right now, looking into hearts and minds and lives and saying, isn't it true you need me to come into your life? Isn't it true you need to just invite me more into your life? You need to turn to me. You need to turn back to me. You need to turn things in your life over to me. I want you to think about the eternal God for whom everything in human life and in human history is happening right now. I want you to think about the perspective of the eternal God because if he is eternal and if everything in human history is compressed into one moment that means right now while you are here with your head bowed and your eyes closed right now Jesus is hanging on the cross 
right now while you are here with your head bowed and your eyes closed Jesus is breathing words it is finished and the eternal God stretches out through time and space to make that moment real for you in this time and in this place right now right now Jesus is raising up out of the tomb right now Jesus is moving the stone and walking in resurrection life right now the apostle Paul is coming to see Jesus and coming to have a full revelation of who he is and turning his life over to him right now in this place God's spirit hovers the eternal God the God of light is hovering over this room right now and he's saying to you come on my son my daughter isn't it your opportunity to turn your life over to me today isn't it your opportunity to draw a line in the sand of your life and say God of the universe I'm turning to you in a room like this I imagine that there are people who've never done that before and I'm really glad you're here In a room like this, I imagine that there are people who've done it once upon a time, but it lost its power and they haven't been walking with God. And today, in the wonderful gospel invitation, the opportunity exists for you to respond to the yearning of heaven, the eternal God right now reaching out to you. If you put up your spiritual antenna, you'll hear, you'll sense, you'll feel the presence of God saying to you, my son, my daughter, that's you. That's you. Why don't you say yes to me today? Why don't you turn to me today? And I want to close this meeting in prayer for everybody in this room today. People who are conscious of God. God, I'm turning this part of my life over, that part of my life over. I'm returning to you in that bit. But before I pray for those groups, I want to pray for people in this room that for the first time ever, or for the first time in a long time, say, Pastor Ben, would you include me in that prayer? I need to draw that line in the sand of my life. I need to turn to God for the first time ever or the first time in way too long. And I'm about to pray. Before I pray, I want to know who I'm including in my prayer. I want to leave you where you're seated. But I just want you to shoot a hand up in the air, lift your head and look at me and go, yeah, that's me, Pastor Ben. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Who am I praying for? Who am I including in my prayer today? Hand up in the air, look at me. Yeah, Pastor Ben, that's me. I want to be included in that prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for our friends and family in this room today, everyone under the sound of our voice. I pray as they turn areas of life over to you, they would sense your presence as they repent, as they return, as they come to you, Father. Every challenge turned over to you. Every life circumstance turned over to you. Every situation turned over to you today, Father. In the name of Jesus, thank you for it, Father. Thank you for them. I'm praying for you, my friend, whatever you're facing, that now it's faced with a life turned in the direction of God, with eyes turned on God and to God, and Him smiling on you, living and walking with you. I pray for strength in your challenges. I pray for comfort in your weaknesses. I pray for victory in your battles. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.